0: Welcome to the Soulful Sound Podcast. This podcast is about celebrating the leaders, teachers, and coaches who guide fellow humans to connect, heal, and discover themselves so they can express their gifts into the world. I am Simone Niles, a coach, sound healer, vocalist, and author. Thank you for being here with me today. In this episode of the Soulful Sound podcast, I'm joined by the wonderful Calvin Niles, who is a passionate communicator and mindful living coach, making a positive impact on the lives of leaders, entrepreneurs, coaches, and wider society through his services and products. He combines the power of his experience in public speaking, coaching, and business to help people discover their voice and step into their power. One of his popular services is helping speakers create signature talks, exploit their story and boost their personal brand. He helps people mobilize their potential, whether selling from the stage, networking or delivering their message to large audiences. Calvin has worked with hundreds of people from leaders in large corporates to SMEs to solopreneurs and charities. Do you want to know how you can tell your story to impact your audience? In our conversation, Calvin shares the importance of telling your story, offers tips on how you can figure out what your story is and how to tell it well. He also speaks about the power of mindfulness and how you can start developing a mindful practice. Have a listen and join in the conversation. Well, I am so excited that you've decided to join me today, Calvin. Thank you so much for coming along.
1: I'm glad to be here. You're my sister, after all.
0: Yes, you know, I have to say that when I first thought, you know, I need to think of some really cool people to interview. I thought, I don't know if I should really interview my brother. I mean, of all people. But you know what? You've got such a wealth of knowledge and so many wonderful things to share, um, and you create such an impact in the world that I thought, of course, why not? Why not do that? It'll be a disservice, in fact, not to have you on. So. So well,
1: I, I'm glad to be here. So yeah. thank you for thinking of me in that way. Of you know? course, of course. I know we're uh, we are brother and sister, so sometimes we just don't actually take opportunity to do things like this as often. So I'm glad.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm really me glad. too. I'm really glad. So obviously, I know you. So let me introduce you. Um, so Calvin, Calvin Niles, he's a passionate communicator and mindful living coach, making a positive impact on the lives of leaders entrepreneurs, coaches, and wider society through his services and products. So that's beautiful. I love Mm. that. And I mean, I know a lot about the work that you're doing um, and you've got so many things to offer. You speak about mindfulness and storytelling and things like that. So I'd like to know a little bit more about what you do.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's really simple. I help people to cut through the noise to get to the heart of their story using mindful techniques, uh, mindful principles, meditation, and how to really imbue their life with, I guess, the right qualities and the right attitudes um, to really get to their story. Uh, this is important for me because, uh, well, as you know, um, you know, I've been through some challenges myself and getting my story straight and then being able to tell it in, in, in any uh, impactful way was um, quite a challenge. So I'm essentially sharing some of the things that I've done myself Great. Um, to get to the heart of my story.
0: That's good. And I mean, you, you mentioned the, word, the words cut through the noise. What, mm-hmm. what would you say that really means?
1: Well, I think we have a lot of head trash going on inside of our heads. More often than not, um, I would say 99% of the people that I encounter do Um, Because we believe a lot of our own thoughts, which are not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what the mindfulness meditation does is it helps us to detach from the thought process um, to a degree where we can get um, clarity on what we're about, where we're going, what we want to say, what we don't want to say. Um, And that's what I mean by cutting through the noise. So it is that dislocation from our 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 thinking essentially
0: yeah absolutely i mean we have so many thoughts coming through our mind at, at one you know in one given moment and i know how, how often i say to clients that not all of your thoughts are true so i think it's really important to acknowledge that and just see them for what they are and be able to then distinguish the truth from that um, well, well
1: apparently we have Fifty 000 to seventy thousand thoughts a day. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But there is some research floating around out there that talks about the incessant thinking that people do. Um, and I think we've come to a place in 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 our sort of human evolution, if you like, mm. where we think that thinking is the aim itself. Um, but uh, but thinking is the tool. Yeah. And so we just have to be mindful to not let our thoughts uh, lead us too much because sometimes they lead us into places that are not helpful. <laughs> yes, of course. You know, yeah, we
0: know, we yeah. know there, there is definitely the disempowering thoughts and those that help us to make better choices. So how would you, I mean, if you could encourage someone to decipher through that, mm. you know, as you say, cut through the noise and you know, the thoughts are going to be there, they're, they're there, we're alive, they're going to happen. Mm. What would be some of the ways that they could actually deal with all, you know, all that noise?
1: Well, I think one of the first points is to recognize that we have to come with a willingness or an attitude um, at the beginning, from the outset. So I don't think, you know, when a child wants to walk, the first thing the child wants to do is walk. Nobody forces the child to walk before it's ready. So I think there is a quality or an attitude that someone has to bring in the first place, which says, I recognize that there is a lot of head noise going on here. Okay, um, And then uh, I want to cut through. So the first thing is that will or awareness or desire. Um, after that, uh, the work, as much as it can be challenging, becomes easier because we know that people are seeking uh, a particular uh, way to cut through. Um, after that, the first thing I always say to people is learn to meditate. Uh, what the meditation does is it helps you to, I guess, watch your own thinking process it gets you to cultivate what we call the observer, where we are not seeing things literally through our own eyes, but we seem to be seeing them from some other kind of view, um, which is disconnected from our thought process. So we're not thinking about what we're seeing.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> we're yeah.
1: trying to, to not think about what we're seeing by just observing it. And yeah. that comes with a whole host of uh, other attitudes around. Oh, hang on. I'm thinking about uh, all this head noise that I'm having. Interesting. Why am I thinking about that? Oh oh well, actually I'm thinking about that because that's what the mind does. point of awareness straight away.: Sure. And then gradually you expand on these points of awareness until it becomes a habit. And slowly and slowly, you know you're able to, uh, I guess, uh, build that space between the event and the observer or the observer and the observed. Um, and that's really the biggest breakthrough that happens early on of meditation.
0: That's awesome. And would you say that you know, carrying that practice of meditation, certainly but carrying it outside of the practice into practical conversations or communication with yourself and others, but let's say two people having a communication, is that then helpful for them to be the observer while they're actually communicating? Or is this something that you would say happens mostly in reflection?
1: Totally, live is is a brilliant opportunity to do it because, I mean, let's for example say we're having a conversation right now. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's not uncommon for a person to start thinking about what they're going to say next while the other person is still talking. Yeah, and so without cultivating the observer in everyday activity, we may not witness that, and then therefore we may not be able to listen properly.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: and so having the observer in everyday activity. Um, is helpful t- for us to become aware of uh, patterns of behavior that we have more and more, which essentially um, helps us to know thyself better each time.
0: Yeah. And I you know what I find interesting is that leading into, you know, doing these interviews and having these conversations, The one thing that I didn't want to do was stick to a script or have um, two prescribed questions because I felt that, yes, being mindful and in the moment and having opportunities to, you know, just go with the vibe and go with the flow, um, that would be so much more authentic than necessarily sticking to a list of prescribed questions. That's Mm -hmm. not to say that I didn't come prepared and Mm -hmm. I don't, and I have some ideas because I know there's so much for you to offer people. I want to kind of grab as much as I can in a short space of time, but yeah, I absolutely Thinks being able to you know be spontaneous, be in the moment, be mindful, and also just really having a sense of deep listening for the other mm. um, is so important in in that in that you know communication.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, deep listening. It just so happens is a favorite subject of mine because okay, you know look, I mean, deep listening is not only about listening to the other person; is it's about listening to yourself, and this is a, this is another way of saying. Being able to observe, right? Yeah, and so, so the more that we are able to observe, is a uh, better we're able to listen to ourselves. Is the better we're then able to listen to others. Absolutely, because fundamentally, our contact with people and experiences is interpreted by us, and that interpretation, what I call lens of perception, is all to do with our individual point of view or our angle or lens or whatever. And so, actually, deep listening, being able to really see and hear what's going on within us is what allows us to listen to others.
0: What 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 I would love to know, because I know that the word mindfulness these days is thrown around a lot. And what would you what's your definition or what's mindfulness for you personally?
1: Hmm. Yeah, well that's a good one because a lot of people ask that question, what is it? I mean, there are a number of explanations and definitions and um, you know, as as I particularly apply my own work, I try to uh, avoid labels as much as possible. Only to the point that uh, that is helpful uh, do I like to use labels, but then I also try to be aware of their confining or limiting effect. So, simply, I think the easiest way to think about mindfulness is to just think about it as being aware right okay purely simply just being aware now um the path of mindfulness is to heighten our awareness constantly if you were to consider uh what western secular mindfulness teachers talk about it is about being aware in the present moment non-judgmentally um so you know it's it's not a million miles away from being aware. Mm. Um, but that one especially talks about the non-judgmentally side um, is about helping us to see that we are, it comes back to these attitudes again, because, you know, it's very easy to, as soon as we become aware of something, all the head trash starts and then we become judging about our own thoughts. But I think simply it is just about awareness, really, in the simplest terms, um, and continuing to grow in awareness.
0: Okay. And you speak about attitudes, the attitudes in, in mindfulness. Can you just talk a little bit about what those are?
1: Mm. So, again, this comes from very much a West, Western secular mindfulness school of thought. But there are some attitudes around. Um, and interestingly, uh, this is something that I talk a lot about because I, f- I feel that the quality uh, and the attitude that anyone brings to their daily life is far more important than anything else. I mean, you can sit down and meditate all day long, right? Can't you, right? Mm. You can sit down and meditate. And then imagine after every meditation, you think that sucks. I really hated that. That was awful or whatever. Um, then the attitude that we're bringing to it is not necessarily a constructive one. No. no. So um, so there are such attitudes like, and, the, and they're in no particular order. You know, how I like to describe it is like being... Um, Having a a door to a house, which, uh, or multiple doors to a house, which doesn't matter which door you take, you still enter into this state of awareness. Right. So one door can lead to the other door, can lead to the other door, and so on. So there's such, for example, attitudes like um, non-striving, like patience, like letting go like acceptance, Uh, two recent ones that John Kabat-Zinn, who is the Western father of secular mindfulness, added was generosity and gratitude. Um, Beginner's mind is an ancient one, which is about how can we bring this attitude of curiosity to our everyday activities in the simplest way? You know, for example, if you think you've just learned something and then Mm. you thought, oh, I know that already. Maybe the question could be, do I know that? Or am I right? What says that I'm right? You know, and these kinds of things helps to just, it's always just gradually cultivating um, uh, an attitude that is helpful and constructive to the actual practice. Sure, and I mean, in in
0: that example as well, that curiosity could be about taking it deeper. So it could be that you're right, it could be that you know it, but how could I take this deeper? How could I learn more? Because often I know how many times we think we know a subject matter and we're just scratching the surface. And so there's also an opportunity, always really an opportunity to take things a bit deeper with that beginner's mind, which is great because it means that you're always at the beginning.
1: This is one of the hardest things for uh, deep thinkers or or Western thinkers to do, because as soon as we go to school, we go to university, we go to college, we learn, we learn, we learn, we learn. Then we think once we've done that, we get into the world of work, we've got all the answers. And then everything is contextualized by what we've learned. But what we've actually done there is boxed ourselves in. Because the boundaries yes. have been created by yes. what we've actually learned. So you will always hear learned people talking about or using the expression, you know, the more that I learn is the more I realize I don't know.
0: Yeah, And yeah. it
1: is that beginner's mind that allows for that process to happen with least resistance. Hmm. Um, you know, it's kind of like uh, when, when the, the Europeans thought that the world was flat and then they went and, you know, they circumnavigated the globe and found themselves back where they started. They thought, Hang on, the, the world isn't flat. The world is round. Yes. Think of how their minds opened up in that instant. Think about how when they didn't fall off the edge of the earth into off the cliff or some sort of abyss. Sure. That they actually discovered, wow, there is a lot more here to the world than we actually realize and i appreciate that's a really simple example.
0: Well it goes this, this you know to say the same for recognizing human potential you know we also thought that man could only run a particular speed until someone broke the limit you know and mm. now it's it's something that people are realizing more and more and we do our best to, to to kind of take it further and see how far we could take these limits push these limits yeah. because you know human potential is is just being tapped and we're recognizing that more and more across many fields. Um, so I think it's great to have that, you know, that kind of thought around being open, being curious and not necessarily closing the door just because of what you see presented in front of you.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad you say human potential because, I mean, John Kabat-Zinn often talks about mobilizing your potential. Yeah. Um, if you go back to the spiritual teachers of mindfulness, um, there are all these, you know, different schools. You've You've got the major and minor wheel or the big wheel and the small wheel. Uh, of mindful practice um, people extrapolate that and talk about it all kinds of different ways um, but the thing is is all of them ultimately say that this heightened awareness allows us to discover our human potential or mobilize our human potential um, that is not necessarily the end in itself sure uh you know there are funny stories about um about uh, when Buddha was being challenged uh, uh, by his students about things and and they thought they were falling off the path, and then they thought they were back on the path. And you know, oh, I want to be enlightened and this that, and the other. And, and Buddha actually said to him, um, "Legend would have it, because I wasn't actually there. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <You weren't>? Legend, <laughs> legend would have it that he, you know, he said the 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 real meat and principle of walking on the path is awareness itself. That's it. Yeah, is awareness itself." all these other goals are byproducts of the awareness the That's actual it. awareness is really the, the 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 thing so this is why the meditation practice whether it's amazing or not amazing is fine yeah you know a lot of people think oh i need to have a blissful experience and so on and this is why i think it's so empowering with the story work because a lot of people who want to tell their story want to do it for for um marketing reasons which is great because people want to be able to sell themselves into the world in the best possible way
0: of course yeah
1: what sometimes happens is they realize that actually I guess what one of the benefits of using this tool to help people get to their to the heart of their story is that they can reframe their story in the first place in the first instance so this is to look at their experiences uh, from a new uh, angle or new lens Something that's much more constructive and reflective of these attitudes, but then at the same time, um, they actually get a step closer to letting them go as well um, because the 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 experience of finding and telling your story is only a step
0: you yes. know it
1: is only a step fundamentally and then uh, and then the story itself is just a vehicle becomes a vehicle rather than the end. And okay. It becomes a vehicle for your mission. It becomes a vehicle for your message, for your call to action or how, however it is you want to impact the world. The story is just the carrier of that. The story in itself then doesn't become the end
0: again, beginner's mind. (laughs) Exactly,
1: exactly. That's awesome.
0: So I definitely want to delve into your storytelling and things that you do there. But before I do, just to um, just ask you one more question about mindfulness, because Mm. I'm really curious and I'm sure anyone listening to, you know, what you've shared so far um, would want to know what is your personal mindfulness practice? What do you integrate? Is it a daily ritual, a daily meditation, or just generally, how do you integrate mindfulness into your life?
1: So, yeah, I have a couple of ways that I look at this. I think the first way is um, to have a habitual practice, which um, which is not uncommon to a lot of people. You know, you wake up in the morning, you go to the gym, you you know, you brush your teeth or whatever. Um, one of the uh, ways of of forming a healthy habit pattern is to integrate the mother's practice in your routine. So in the morning, I do a meditation every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I particularly uh, do uh, a type of mindfulness meditation called Vipassana. I don't um, teach Vipassana, um, but it is uh, mindfulness meditation is rooted in Vipassana. Um, It is, there are about 50 or 50 something different versions of Vipassana meditation, to be honest with you. So, um, but my my personal practice is Vipassana, which is essentially just body scan. I do that every day Mm. um, for an hour. And then throughout the day, I take opportunities to practice it in simple ways. Um, if I'm walking to the train station, uh, if I'm waiting somewhere, I might take in uh, the the five senses, sharpen the five senses a bit more. So, you know, I might uh, start to look around and, and look at the textures, look at the hue, look at the brightness, the luminosity. Uh, the smells, and all the, the five senses start to come into play. Um, there's something, uh, a takeaway tool that, that we tend to teach in mindfulness called the three-minute breathing space. Right. Um, and that is a really simple bite-sized thing that, you know, if you've sort of had something going on in your life, in, in your daily routine, um, that has just you a little bit in your you can feel your body's changing you know the cortisol levels are spiked and you just feel a bit tight and it often happened when i was in my corporate job and so i started to practice then uh, the three minute breathing space which is a real short bite-sized intervention self-guided intervention so the three minute breathing space is literally you you take three minutes and, you know, you can break it down. You could say ABC. So mm. the first one will just be uh, to just be have an awareness of where you are, um, become aware of around you, what it feels like to be where you are in this moment. You might be sat behind a desk. You might feel yourself there. And then you just go to your breath. That's the B. Um, so you take your awareness to your breath and then you just really tune in. To your breath. So, I mean, just as we're sitting here now, you can probably just be aware of your breathing now. Just be aware of your breath coming into contact with your nose and filling into your lungs, and then you just consciously expand. And that's what the C is. You consciously expand. So that now that we're aware of our breath, now just consciously expand that awareness to your body, and you could start. In your stomach because you notice the breath going into your lungs you notice your stomach expanding and you may want to just visualize a ball there and just consciously expand that ball until your entire body is encapsulated in that ball and then feel all those parts of your body that are in that ball so there are there are little f- tools and little takeaway interventions you could use i mean there are tons and tons of them um, okay. So, th- so was, those are ways. was that
0: first step? Then being aware of what it is that you're feeling, whatever that angst is that you've picked up, or things that's going on in the body at yep. that time. Then the second step would be to bring your awareness and attention to your breath. So you're just breathing consciously for that 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 second. I guess that second minute. Yeah. And then the third is just to notice the expansion in your body. Um, is there? Is there anything around releasing whatever that is within that expansion, or is that all just about the expansion, which naturally then releases whatever it is that you're feeling?
1: Yeah, the release happens by itself. By itself, okay. Um, the the act of being present now, yes, of being anchored in the present moment, by dint of its own expression, you've forgotten the past and you've forgotten the future. You've you're actually in the in the moment. Because it is really the past and the future that imports (laughs) this anxiety in the first place. So by anchoring ourselves now and using the tools, the tool that is our body to do that um, and sharpening our mind onto this moment, then those things automatically just fall away. Because you're no longer that.
0: thinking about what happened. Yeah, what's I mean, to I do a lot of different things with many different steps around mindset and around changing state and physiology. And I think what's really precious about this is that you're, it's really not about thinking. It's being very present and taking three very small steps Mm. and they're all around awareness and all about being right here and right now. Um, And breathing, a lot of the things that I do with my work with singers is really about connecting with the body, relaxing through the breath before they then, you know, vocalize and sound. Mm. Um, It might be a part of a basic warm up, but it could be something really about bringing the intention into their practice or just just letting go of any stress before we enter a, a vocal session, for example. So I think breath work is such a great, Uh, quick and easy step in. So I think that uh, three-minute breathing space is a great one to adapt, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the main thing is, you know, Take these tools and use them in. I mean, keep them uh, as close to the essence as possible. Sure. But you use them in the appropriate scenario for you. Now, I mean, I you know very well. I'm a thinker, and yeah. um, uh, and uh, probably the right expression is overthinker. <laughs> and I use, wasn't
0: going to say, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I remember mum. Well, you know, when mum, when I left the airlines, it's over a decade ago now, and I didn't know what was going to happen for for me. And I was running through all of these scenarios about what was going to happen in the future. And, and I actually used to get uh, really strong headaches. So I actually remember the other day when you said to me, oh, I've got a bit of a headache, Carl." I said, did you put the ice pack on the back of your neck? And you said, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. That used to happen to me sometimes. And I recognize that, that, could, that sometimes is... Um, it could be all kinds of things, of course. Sure, but sure. for me It was overthinking. I would, it was overthinking. And it because what the thinking was doing was triggering a stress response in my body. And then I and then my nervous system super superhighway was carrying all these hormones and and essentially I would have this pain at the back of my neck and the base of my skull at the back. Excruciatingly I mean it it was excruciating is probably misleading because that would that seems like sharp but it was like a strong dull ache right and uh if i had these tools back then i would know how to cope much better Mm. (laughs) with these Mm. things (laughs) yeah you know so it is it is really about being able to use very 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 simple things in everyday life Mm. if you've got the attitude which is why i always start with the attitudes if you've got the attitude. It becomes easier to do it because this is such a simple thing.
0: Sure. Yeah. If
1: you don't have the right attitude, you're not going to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you were talking about back in the day when you were leaving the airlines. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so you went to mum, and what did she say? What did she tell you?
1: She told me, chill out. Yeah. <laughs> Just chill out. <laughs> no, she actually she, she went, are you know what you're like. You know, you're always thinking, you know, your mind, this, that and the other. And actually until that point, I didn't really know mm. that that's how I was. Right. Okay. It's only when she said, you know what you're like, you can't stop thinking. I actually thought to myself, can I not stop thinking? See, so I went into another thought process straight away about whether I was thinking too much.
0: Right. Okay. Well, I'm very happy to say you've got the you've got the tools now. So never too late, never too late to add them. Okay, so I'm really keen. I mean, mm. I'm really excited about the mindfulness and I'm really keen to jump into some story stuff because you kind of started hinting about how you integrate mindfulness in helping people to discover their story. And I know mm. that you also help, to help them to tell it. Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about your story, the storytelling side of your business and what you do.
1: So how I came across the telling your story was... Um, I was in public speaking some years ago. Uh, I was vice president of education for a fantastic organization called Toastmasters, which has changed a lot of people's lives um, by helping them to express themselves. And it just so happened that I was expressing myself at a time of significant perturbation for me. Um, You know, I was going through marriage breakdown, as you know. Um, I was going through some really tough times in my corporate job. Um, the outlook was not rosy, shall we say <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I was just doing public speaking for literally a bit of a uh, bit of fun, and um, every time I got up and I spoke, I'd tell a story. Mm-hmm. uh what happened after that was a lot of people became interested in me mentoring them until I, en- I ended up having more people than i could serve waiting in a queue literally waiting in a queue i think i think i had something like 15 people uh around my corporate day job by the way i was doing all this for free because that's what you did um and i didn't understand what people wanted from me so i i asked yeah. I, I just said look Can I ask you a question? Can you please tell me why you want me to help you? Yeah. And um, they said, I want you to help me tell a story because you're really good at telling a story. So I thought, really? Am I good at telling a story? Amazing. I didn't even know that. Thank you. That's another thing on my awareness checklist. Yes. Um, But meanwhile, uh, the thinking never stopped. Okay. So, So when they said, you know, I want you... To help me tell my story because you're good at telling your story uh is when i thought okay well you know there's another another thing i wasn't aware of i, I can help people tell a story be, you know because it's obviously a skill that i was uh practicing and didn't know i had mm. but that developed to a point where i was able to serve people but the thinking still carried on which is which is the main thing. The overthinking was still carried on. And a lot of it was not helpful. A lot of it was not helpful. Um, but the, the detachment from the thinking wasn't actually my conscious aim, actually. My conscious aim at the time was to know what I needed to do. <laughs> what was it that I needed to do? What was I all about? Right. Yeah. You know, what, you know, what, what does Calvinar stand for what does he what is his place in the world and you know what where does he where does he need to go now? everything's crumbled uh the marriage is over work is uh almost over uh, I was still in a corporate job but I was on life support and where where to uh, to the point where I think I remember coming to you saying, "I don't know I'm totally lost." And um, that was the moment that I felt the mindful meditation would be helpful Okay. to really help me figure out what I'm about. So then that became a phase of discovery. Okay. I need to discover what I'm actually all about. I need to discover what are my gifts now? Uh, What do I do next? Um, You know, all of that. Stuff. Why? What? How? When? Where? Who? All that stuff, and um, and then it helped. And I remember my last uh, speech I did before I left the vice president of education role was a, a speech called "Know Thyself,"
0: <laughs>
1: and it was only a ten-minute talk that I delivered, uh, and that talk resonated with people to such a degree. Now, bear in mind, this was no longer about just telling a story about what happened yesterday or, you know, Joe Bloggs and his dog. This was a very personal story. I talked a, a lot about um, things that happened and recontextualized them. And that clarity came with, uh, with the silencing of the head noise, essentially. So there was, a, there was an element of discovery there. What they then did was combine... The discovery with the delivery. What originally started as delivery, helping people to deliver and tell a story impactfully, how to inspire your audience to action and use all of those tools that that I learned myself and then help people to learn as vice president of education. are combined with the cutting through because this is the point that the story is the vehicle. If you have nothing interesting to say, to talk about, no interesting impact to leave, then you just got a vehicle carrying air. <laughs> right. You're telling a story with nothing in it.
0: <laughs> sure. And so does everybody have something unique to share? Does every is, Can you mine a story for everyone?
1: Yes. Everyone has got a unique combination of knowledge and experience, even though they may not think it. Because as long as you're alive... You would have gone through something, yeah, and then you would have learned something from it. And those two things in itself already are enough to, to for you to start to weave your own story. Um, but it may be just the the narrative is not developed. Yeah. And I remember once I was doing a workshop, and I had this guy, and he's really cynical. This guy, um, I've told you this actually.
0: Okay, so
1: um, good. and he, you know, so just imagine. <laughs> a really cynical person in the corner distracting you from delivering your workshop. And this workshop was about your story, how to find and tell your story. And he said, look, I really don't mean to be rude here, but he was a Scottish guy. So you're like, I don't mean to be rude, mate. (laughs) (laughs) But he said not everybody is going to have some amazing story that they can tell. And they're not going to, you know, be like Barack Obama uh, on an inaugura- inauguration day with millions of people, you know, and, and marching an army over a hill. Um, I said, but you're telling me then that you don't have a message. You don't have a message that uh, a story can carry for you. You know, what is your message to the world? I asked that question. And he said, I don't know. And he shrugged his shoulders. So I said, okay. And I did the deathbed exercise, which is a common one for a lot of coaches to use around, you know, visualizing your last moment and, you know, what would you do and so on. So this exercise, you know, know, you're on your deathbed um, and, you know, really took him through this place where, you know, these people are, are starting to coalesce around your bed and they're looking down on you. Who are they? Who are they? Who are these people? You know, they may be shadows at first, but then they start to turn into people you recognize. First thing is, who are these people? You know, it might be your mom, it might be your partner, it might be your brother, sister, whatever. And, th- and this starts to take shape. And you're just about to die and they're sharing this moment with you. And you only have one breath left and you've only got one thing you can say. What is that thing? Right? (laughs) So he's still, you know, really cynical. His body language was kind of like, you know, in a straight jacket type of body language. There's a lot of resistance. And he just went, i would just say, bye (laughs) (laughs) so so you know but i said well there you go um you know what is actually happening there is you do have a key message which is part of your story which is that people just need to lighten up or people need to not take things so seriously or people just need to have a bit more fun or whatever put it however you want there's something around his own personal view that people just need to chill out a bit and have some fun or whatever.
0: I think that's great that you were able to pull that from that. I didn't think that. I was like, what What does that mean by, <laughs> you know, um, I, I I had this conversation as you're going through it and leading us through this exercise in my head that what would be my yeah. last words? If I have my family around me, it would be I love you and I, you know, and all I will always love you, those kind of things, because there, you know, I have a lot of love in my in my life, which I'm very grateful for. And I'm sure I could bring all of that out. But that I was like, what are you going to draw from that kind of, uh, you know, very, very conversation. <laughs> Tomical. Bye, see ya. Um, so I think that's great. So it's a really good step, and you know, for a lot of people who may not necessarily delve deep into this, um, that's a great example of there is always something behind the behavior or behind the words that that come out. And I think what what's very interesting for me, um, as you spoke about your story and how you began storytelling, um, is that you came to a place where you know you had a lot of things going on in your life around your marriage breakdown of your marriage, as you said, and work and. And um, you were able to come to a place of acceptance, which mm-hmm. I know you spoke about is one of the attitudes in, in in the mindfulness practice, but also acknowledging where you were at that time. As you said, you came to me and said, look, I'm just lost, as opposed to thinking you needed to have all the answers. You just acknowledged where you were in that present moment, mm-hmm. Um, and leading on from there, being able to then deliver that, that speech or that talk to your, um, you know, to the members of this association and talk about know thyself. And it it really talks about, um, being able to be vulnerable because to share something personal, you know, as you said, rather than what happened yesterday and what I might do in, you know, in the next job interview or whatever, you're taking it to a personal level, which I think is really precious. Mm. And, um, not everyone is able to necessarily go into that. So how do you guide people through that vulnerability and being able to be, I suppose, authentic with whatever their story is?
1: So this is where the, uh, the key attitude of non-judgment comes in to play. Uh, because most people say, oh, but I don't know what my story is. And then after that, they say, well, no one wants to hear my story anyway. And then after that, they say, I've not been in a plane crash or you know lost a limb or you know had some miraculous turnaround from being a paraplegic to now you know flying um um gliders or whatever it might be and the point is is that people discredit their own experience through the uh judgmental voice in their head Mm. so the, the the one of the first things is distancing yourself from that noise which is why the meditation is so helpful then we can actually have a normal conversation around that when we're on the coaching journey. Uh, as we're talking right now, we might say, what have you reflected and seen? Well, I've noticed as I was writing this story, I started to cringe, somebody might say. I started to think, oh, well, you know, no one wants to hear this. Okay, but what have you seen now? What Now that we're growing in awareness, what happens is people then start to see that they're actually judging themselves. Yeah. So then another attitude uh, um, or another effort towards um, relinquishing the judgment helps people to free themselves from that. And there there, then it becomes easier uh, to uh, be vulnerable. And hence the, the why I call it the vulnerability paradox, because it's paradoxical in the sense that you are becoming more vulnerable, which by the dictionary definition means uh, opening yourself to the potential to be hurt or harmed, But actually the fact that you've chosen to be vulnerable and you've cultivated this attitude of acceptance, self-acceptance and non-judgment is that you actually don't care whether you're hurt or, or, or harmed. And um, the likelihood is that you aren't because you don't care what he he thinks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) So it's a
1: paradox in the sense that, you know, what other people think actually doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think that that what comes through, I mean, the message that I'm hearing about a lot of the people that come to you for this work is that my story needs to be um, this massive inspirational happening, you know, comparing themselves to, you know, large influencers out there who might have achieved great things or feeling like they had to be at their lowest point point in life and, you know, as you say, climbed Mount Everest and done something remarkable when, you know, it is remarkable to, to talk about, you know, I, I gave birth to my first child or I, you know, I've been suffering from backache and I managed to get out of bed this morning. Those things are quite, you know, they make up the the steps no matter how small they are of something great. And I think it's really good to acknowledge that it doesn't have to be this, you know, pers- this perception of something huge and and this big mastery of, of achievement mm. before a story can be you know brought out of you because as you said we all have stories, we all have experiences in life that we can learn from mm. and it's really about how we can share those. Um, can, I, can I just say about yes, the story? Sure.
1: The the point about doing the story work is remember what I said at the beginning is that the story is the vehicle of your your message or your key message. So the story work that we do or that I do with my clients is not about just having stories for story's sake. The exercise really in the combination of uh, distancing or cutting through the noise or distancing from the thoughts and doing the story mining is it is sort of a um, rational versus um, mystical, if you want to say, um, two-pronged approach. So the... The meditation is very much a, a spiritual thing where there's work happening, but you can't really logically always explain everything about it. All the awareness that's happening for you, but things are happening. And then the story mining is a very logical, academic type of approach. Then what happens is through the story mining and you start to look at your own story and form them, a message becomes clear to you. Yeah. Then that message is then used to formulate your key message, which is what you will use to impact the world with. That's awesome. And then your key message is driven in the vehicle of the story. That's what the story is for. That's the way I work with people. So we're not just doing entertainment stories here. Sure. Um, And a lot of people come to that realization very early on because on some level they actually know that that, that they don't want to do an entertainment story but they just don't understand that they don't want to do an entertainment story. <laughs> yeah,
0: Yes, I've had uh, many people over the years come to me for vocal coaching when really what they wanted was sound healing or, you know, life coaching or things like that. So I completely understand that. Yeah. That entry in sometimes consciously or unconsciously is not quite what they, you know, they're looking for.
1: Yeah, that's, where the, where, that's really where the real work gets done. Then when we move into the delivery side that's when it becomes fun, entertaining. How to deliver it so it sticks to the audience. How do people go away remembering you? How do you make them feel inspired? How can they tell it in such a way that it resonates with their emotions? All these things, that then comes with the delivery. So this is where the combination of discovery delivery, what I mentioned earlier, uh, this is where they combine.
0: I love that. I love that. Mm. And so if you could just give three practical tips um, on how someone could tell their story well, So they've mined the story. They've gone through discovering what it is. They've extracted their message. We know how important it is to figure out what that is. So now they come to telling it. Mm. What are those three tips that, you know, for them to tell it well, for them to do a good job?
1: Well, I think one of the first things is, um, and we've mentioned it earlier, is about bringing the attitude of non-judgment all the time. It's quite easy to slip back into you know, thinking uh, you're inadequate or, you know, my story is not good enough and this kind of thing. So I think as much as that is not a, uh, a delivery uh, skill, it is a, a, a quality that needs to be brought when you are telling your story at all times. Great. You know, your story is good enough. And guess what? People do want to hear it. As long as you've learned something valuable from that, it's going to help somebody else. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing is know your stories. Formulate your story shelf. In other words, you know, when we do the mining, what happens is a number of stories are uh, are defined. Uh, sometimes people remember things that they hadn't remembered for, you know, their entire life since the event happened. Far less being able to interpret it, far less being able to turn it into a key learning or right. far less into a key message. Uh, once you do that, the important thing is to catalogue those stories into a shelf. So we talk about the different types of stories there are, what I like to define. I mean, there are a number of different types of stories. The four common stories I work with a lot are what people call me stories. Uh, These are stories that help the audience to know who I am as a person, what I've been through, and my challenge, so on. That helps to build trust and so on, engender trust with the listener. Then there are you stories. They, that may be a story, I mean, cultures particularly like this one, which it might be a story of a client, a client's journey, something that happened with a client or a customer or something like that. Then their vision stories, my vision for the world, you know, some people in charities will use vision stories quite a lot. You know, we believe in, in a world where water is free for all, for example, that's a vision story yeah. or equality of uh, economic equality or what have you. And then organizational stories are quite common for uh, leaders in business who really want to take the organization and teams with them through a journey of change. And so those stories matter in those instances. Um, so what I would say is, uh, number one is to bring the alt- attitude of non-judgment. Yep. Number two is to stack your story shelf, which okay. is to you know to really mine, mine your stories. Now, having done all of that, um, you're going to have a load of material. You're going to have loads of stuff that you could potentially talk about. Uh, and this is where the trimming comes in becomes important so number three I would say a really important part here is to make it succinct Um, we don't really want to talk about three different stories to deliver the same message for example Uh, and that's a lot to do with your delivery style and content creation um, and how that is refined so those are three things I think that'll be really helpful for people to literally take away right now uh, and do without my help. You yeah, know? take that attitude of non-judgment. Mind your stories, and make it succinct.
0: That's that's wonderful. I think that's that's great. And I I, I like the the stories that you've mentioned. Me, you, vision, and organisational. Um, when people come to you wanting to go through this experience, do they know what story they want to tell, or is this something that they learn through the experience?
1: So, very often how I work is I will ask the person at the very beginning, do they have a key message that they want to share? Right, okay. Then, once we understand what that key message is, which sometimes involves a lot of mining, because I think what will happen is somebody will come with one message, then we'll do the mining to find the stories that, so should we say, validate that message, and find that the stories that we've been mining actually give another another message, yeah, and then an epiphany may happen, and the person will go, "hmm, I was talking all about eating healthily, where actually, what I really mean is we need to have a balanced approach to life generally, or whatever you know as an yeah. example, yeah, so um once that happens, um, we can work on anything, yeah, it may it depends on the audience, it depends on what what purpose you're trying to serve. Uh a lot of people come to me, of course, because they're delivering a talk. But more recently I've been working with uh people to create online content. I actually had somebody who wanted to work with me to help them write their story for their book. And I, I said, Look, you know, I'm not a book coach. She's like, I don't care, Calvin. I'm working with you. Amazing. <laughs> so Well, so you, you know, you know you,
0: and you know what you want.
1: <laughs> you do get you do get all kinds of um all kinds of of needs and and desires from people, uh, but me stories tend to be the most powerful for people in the work that I do because it's such a personal service.
0: Yeah. I think this is this is so much of a wealth of knowledge. I'm so glad that you came on and, you know, was able to share about this. And it's really interesting how you integrate mindfulness and storytelling and bringing that all out. Um, it would be interesting to know just generally, I know that you're an avid reader. I know you like to read and you're a writer as well. Um, what's, who's your favorite author or what's a favorite book you might have read that has influenced your life so far?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> Well, I guess the the thing is with books is like with anything, right? You know, um, it's always relevant or your perspective is always determined by where you are in any given moment in your life. You You know, if I work with you on your key message today, I may work with you on a key message two years from now and it might be completely different. And that's actually fine. Yeah. And so. We grow
0: and evolve, don't we?
1: We grow and evolve. We're constantly growing and evolving. And that's the other thing, uh, the key thing about mindfulness. I always say, look, it's not a prison sentence. This is not a prison (laughs) sentence. One thing that all mindfulness uh, teachers always talk about, particularly Buddhist uh, mindfulness practitioners, is um, what the ancient Sanskrit or Pali word is. Anicca, which means changing, constantly changing. And if we can accept that things are always, constantly, always changing, um, then we never actually feel imprisoned by anything. So I think with with that in mind, um, some of the books that come to my mind now are um, by Letting Go by David Hawking. Okay. He, he is a... Uh, um, spiritual teacher and researcher he's an ex psychiatrist who um, went on a spiritual journey and, and boy do I can I say it's uh, he's his writing is very impactful it has been for me especially at the time of intervention um, another one of, of his books is uh, power versus Force um, and he really sets out very clearly, the difference between power and force and how when you are getting in touch with yourself and you're and getting in, you know, know when you do know yourself or know thyself, then you are in power. And when you're fighting against something or trying to force anything to happen, then you're in force and, and power wins every time. Uh, and interestingly, at the end of that book, he also, in one chapter, manages to describe the enti- entire enlightenment journey in about five minutes so that's quite wow. interesting <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, just just go just, and get that just last read chapter part, 24 just re- of verses yeah. versus force that's it don't do anything else you're good <laughs> i
0: love that well you said succinct right it's that's it exactly less is, less is less less more, is less is more. that's awesome um, okay. So I just, what inspires you generally? What, what do you say is a big source of inspiration for you? And again, with, with us talking about what you've just said in mm. terms of right now in your life, you know, or, you know, I'm happy for you to talk about something in the past, but mm. certainly what's inspiring right now for you?
1: Um, Hmm. Sorry. My mind is, uh, still in the books. Yes. Um, <laughs> now that, now you got me on, on a roll. Um, what inspires me? So I tend to get um, inspired in when I'm doing stuff. Uh, I tend to get inspired when I'm exercising, um, after meditation, or after quite a nice long rest. <laughs> I can't say specifically that, oh, I actually listen to this song to get inspired or, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: stuff like that. Of course, reading is very inspiring. I tend to go for walks. Um, it became a, a, a pastime of mine when I moved, uh, into Weybridge by the river and I used to walk there and I tend to get a lot of inspiration when I go for walks in the forest. And I think we're going for a walk next week, aren't we?
0: Yes, we are. Can't we? So,
1: yeah. So, um, I tend to get inspired, in, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Spontaneously. Yeah. Spontaneously. Um, but yeah, there's uh, you know, going to the gym, things like that.
0: Yeah. And I think that, you know, being around nature itself for me is quite inspiring. You know, just reconnecting with Mother Earth and mm. you know, knowing that there is no disconnect between us and, and, and nature is so powerful. So I it it certainly creates a space, if it doesn't inspire in itself, certainly creates a space for inspiration to land in land in your lap. You know, I love I love love that. So I'm really excited about our long or oh, I don't know how long, but our <laughs> long nature your walk uh, <laughs> next week. Yes, definitely. Um, so I know that you have uh, an ebook available on Amazon. So I do want to just talk very briefly about that. It's a mm. complimentary ebook um, called An Unfinished Mosaic Life Lessons from a New Perspective. And that's obviously written by you, Kelvin. Um, so just just give us a little bit about what that book is about. So we can go on to Amazon and have a look.
1: Well, thanks. Um, so the book, um, is no longer complimentary.
0: Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Not complimentary, be, be, e-book. <laughs> because
1: uh, because it was in such high demand um, that that I started to uh, sell it. the The book itself is a collection of stories. They're very short stories that I've written, which are essentially snapshots of my own experience, and um, and they have been distilled into key messages. So what actually happened, what did the journey feel like, and what I learned from it, essentially. So it's 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 maybe a, a graphical representation of how you would mine your own stories and then how you would turn them into meaning. Well, interestingly, um, you may reflect on a story at a different point in time and you may take another message from it uh, depending on where you are in your life, as we talked about uh, a minute ago, so um, those stories were written uh, over a period of a couple of years, um, and uh, they have been, I suppose, helpful for me to make sense of my my own journey, um, and they've also been uh, helpful to let it go, because actually, there comes a point where, after we identify and define and redefine our stories we are able to then release them as well.
0: That's awesome. That's brilliant. So, definitely, we'll put some links for all of these things. And if you want to connect uh, with Calvin or learn more about his work, then please do find him at calvinniles.com.
1: Or on Facebook.
0: All on Facebook, on social media, Instagram, and all that yummy stuff. I will put the links at the bottom of this um, podcast so that people can find you easily.
1: I'll also like to add some more to the reading list as well, because there are probably like 10 to 15 books which I think are so amazing. I'm not going to list them all now, um, but I really think that have been pivotal for me uh, on my own journey of healing in the last few years and coming to terms with my own story and so on um, that I think would be really helpful to share.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm very pleased about that, as I'm sure the authors would be. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for joining, Calvin. Thanks, I, thanks. I am so happy, uh, you know, as your big sister, as well as um, someone yeah. who has, you know, benefited from your work. Um, I came to one of your mindfulness um, workshops and was blown away, not just by your delivery, but just by the experience that you created for busy, you know, go-getters to come along and just to uh, tune out and tune in. And I think that that was really special. It was great to witness, um, and I certainly have taken a, a few takeaways um, to, to work with and add to my own practice and rituals. So I was very grateful about that. Thank, you. Thank um, you. So continue to do the work you're doing in helping people to figure out their message and story using those mindfulness practices, and more than more than anything, helping others as you do for yourself make a greater impact in the world.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And I wish you every success with your uh, new project.
0: Thank you so much. <laughs> so I have one very final question for you. And yeah. that is, what is your soulful sound to the world? Your soulful sound is a self prayer or wish or desire that you have right now for the world.
1: Hmm, I like that. Well, the way I translate that is uh, my key message, I guess. Sure. Um, And that is uh, that everybody has the opportunity to get in touch with their inner voice. uh, And now is the time to do it, (laughs) essentially. So my prayer or wish or desire would be for everyone to take the opportunity to know thyself. That's awesome. And if not today, which day?
0: Yeah. All we have is now. Mm. Love you lots. Love you too. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share it with your friends and remember to subscribe. From my heart to yours, sending you love, healing and sound wherever you are.